Welcome to your favorite YouTube channel, Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Uncle Steve Rude is in the house. Jimmy, lay down some of that bibliography and let's jump right into things. Man, you would think it would start and stop with Nexus, but he has done all kinds of books. Space Ghost, Mr. Miracle Special, World's Finest, Hulk vs. Superman, The Moth, and uh, Russ Manning, Kirby, Eisner, and Harvey Award winner, Steve Rude. Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. Yeah, hey, it's cool, guys. Ready to talk. So uh, we think of you one of the consummate drawers in comics. And, and one of the things I'm curious about is, uh, like, like what does a work day look like for you? Uh, I feel like there's so much artwork that you must do that no, nobody gets to see. Well, I've actually got a closet full of art downstairs. I live in a two-story house in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And when we moved into this house, we needed a lot of room. And there's two things that I needed. One is a storage area um, and a garage uh, we have a three three car garage. One of them has been converted into the Rude Dude um, um, merchandise studio, and then I needed a, um, I needed a huge studio because I figured this will be my my final studio in life. And we found a converted game room, which is huge. And I'm hoping to take you on a tour of that later on once I detach this little this little cord uh, <clears throat> uh, here to show you where I work and, and my different stations and how I do what I do and where I do it. And uh, <clears throat> so I needed those things and I got those things. So, um, but a typical work day is, uh, when I was younger, I had an incredible aversion to mornings. Like the idea, uh, I was thinking about, my, my mom was pushing me to get out of the house because I was a nuisance. And I, I um, <clears throat> she said, why don't you think about going into the army, Steve? And so I actually went down and talked to one of the recruiting guys, and I didn't like him. He was he was all superficial and glib and all that. And I don't like people like that. Um, uh, but my friends were worried about me being kind of an upstart. I, and I'm only an upstart with authority. I don't like authority. I don't like people telling me what to do. Um, whereas I was worried about getting up too early. The idea of getting up early was just was just horrifying to me, so that was on my mind. But everyone else was not. That was the least of their worries. Um, now I get up at like five thirty, like those are Mike Barron hours, and he's always kept those. So go figure, right? From the age of eighteen to like sixty-six that I'm at right now, things change over the decades. Have you have you guys noticed that? Oh yeah, I've become a day walker in recent years myself. Yeah, who who can figure that? <laughs> So, so when you get up and you get busy, uh, get a little fitness in and then get to the drawing board or, uh, I, 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 in my mind's eye, because I've, I know people who have seen your sketchbooks who, who worked with you over the years for some of those animation pitches and things. And they, they rest eyes on those sketchbooks. And, uh, it sounds like you are putting pencil to paper or paintbrush to paper a good chunk of your day. Um, it's, it's on and off. The sketchbooks have been a compulsion of mine since I was like 18 um, they're, they're, I think I think people kind of fit into two categories with sketchbooks. One is uh, they just don't do them because they don't like to do them. I thrive on them. I don't think I could I could exist without them. Uh, to me, they're they're an outlet, and they're they're as important to me as as uh, they're more important to me than the actual work because I, all the learning I do is in the sketchbooks. So any conceivable thing that I 
I can I can dream up or conjure that that goes in a sketchbook. I've got I've got it right here actually. <clears throat> this is um let me see what log this is right here. This is what the cover looks like of the latest one. I, did you guys recognize that artist right there? Ten uh, points if you know who that is. Yeah, no. <laughs> You're too young. Peter Max from the 60s. This guy was all the rage. Everyone from my generation knows who this guy is. On the back, you definitely recognize this guy here. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's on the back of my book right here. So what do we have here? Um, log number 38. And I started out with a Dean Cornwell illustration there. And I date them. And I, you know, lately I've been putting little fortune cookie things in there that I get from Panda Express. <laughs> on the back, or on the front rather, I kind of do a, a uh, last year wrap. Everything that's happened to me, I kind of chronicle the adventures of the Rude family. And um, I'm sure I, I made a notation here, but the show is I call it, the Nexus cartoon show that I've been working on for 40 years and how there still is no show. Um, family matters, work, the show, till next year, the dude, uh, things like that. You know, it's, it's, you know, these are basically visual diaries. So what's on the next page here? On the you next page, we have some Rockwell studies. This is um, a study from my, one of my favorite artists, Harry Anderson. This is uh, from Leyendecker, but it's a line art study. Do you try to match this their tools? Oh, uh, what's that? Do you try to match their uh, their their artistic? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, most of these guys worked in oil, and I don't want to work in oil. So this is either watercolor or acrylic of some kind. In fact, there it is, right there. That's the that's the Leyendecker thing that I worked from and converted it into, into line down there. So whatever whatever I feel like doing, whatever I I have the urge to practice with, that's what I do. And you can recognize this pen and ink style from, you know, the turn of the century here, from way back when. Here's more of those studies. If I turn the page here, there's a black um, and ink wash thing of the Bride of Frankenstein. Everyone knows that. And of course, Marilyn over here. That's uh, that's done in watercolor and colored pencil, a technique I've been working feverishly on for the last four and a half, five years. And this is just something I liked right here that I pasted in. It's a great design. See, it's pure design. Yeah. It's just masses of color. So I love that kind of stuff. You want to see more? <laughs> All day, man. <laughs> okay. Um, when, whenever you're uh, interpreting something, is there a conscious thing in your mind? Like, okay, with this piece, lighting is the focus or this hard angle to draw the face? Yeah, on occasion, like like this, like the line decker thing right here, the baby... His, his forms, his rhythms and his forms are of great interest to me. Where he puts the highlights, um, he's got incredible rhythm to his drawings. And uh, if you're versed in, in classical illustration, you'll know exactly what I mean. Uh, everything is connected, all the forms. There's a, there's a big form, and then there's little forms within those forms. And they're all connected. And that's something I learned when I moved to California, when I went to Art Center for uh, a year, and then I went to uh, the Calabasas School for another year. So within 
actually Art Center, I think, was a, a, a half a year. And within one year of moving to California, I, I kind of um, <clears throat> achieved my goal of filling in all the blank spots that I didn't know about because it was a hardcore school and the teacher was so good. Uh, this right here is a miniature of this commission that I did, this MASH commission. When I look at the, the repro, it looks seamless, but in fact, I struggled with it. And that's another thing I'd like to expose myself to with other artists is how hard some pieces come. Some people, some pieces drive me crazy. There's, there, uh, I encounter snags, and those are things that I don't try to hide uh, behind. I, I tell people about them because that's important for people to know uh, how hard some people's, some pieces come, and how, and how, um, how you have to struggle through them to get to, um, to pull them off. This one right here, I don't know what, exactly what that was was about, but I, I think that was from my photo photo library. A scrap file or reference file, and I disliked. I just liked it, so I thought I'd try it. it. It's just kind of practice stuff right here. And I did it on the illustration board, so you can't paste that in. So you just make a color Xerox and paste it in. Do you do you keep a, um, a, do you keep a practical uh, morgue file? Uh, you know the same morgue file that you had in the eighties. You continue to add to it. Cartoonist Kayfabe is brought to you by the books that we make. The Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus is out sooner than later. It's going to be in your stores, but it's not going to be there for long. Scoop it up. X-Men Grand Design Trilogy trade paperback coming to you in November. There are two trade paperbacks of Red Room out there right now. Trigger Warnings and the Anti-Social Network with Crypto Killers trade paperback coming to you in January. Jimmy has a few copies of Hulk Grand Design at stores right now, but it is sold out at the publisher level. So if you see it, scoop it up. Jimmy's going to be having a big sale October 26th with a bunch of self-published stuff, including including True Crime Funnies, the 1986 zine that has been available nowhere. Uh, so this will be the first time you get your hands on it and the BW zine. And of course, Final Order Cutoff is coming soon for Street Angel Princess of Poverty trade paperback, which is going to collect all of Jimmy's Street Angel comics that are not in Street Angel Dead girl alive which you also should have on your racks right now or get it now that we're done paying the bills back to the video yeah yeah i started that back in uh the the late late 70s and um this right here was i i think i set that up in my studio i just like the way it looks and i painted it from life um this is some animation stuff that i liked see everything is game for me Anything that I like, I study pretty much everything because everything is related to me. And I just find it fascinating. Steve, are you drawing from like the screen at, at times? Are you looking this stuff up? Uh, no, I, I don't know how to work with screen. <laughs> no, I've never, I never, I've never quite gotten used to that. Um, so I don't use that. It's, it's too newfangled for me. So I just, uh, <clears throat> but I do have, uh, if, if, if I, if I, want something that's going to be on screen i just tell janelle or jessica i say look up something for me and i'll i'll find it and i and i'll and, and I'll, I'll just say print it out so they do that and then i just shove it in my my physical file here and that works out good so instead of clipping from magazines all the time like i used to there's an added benefit from working uh, from the computer uh, reference files. 
it's, which is a great thing. Yeah, it's interesting that you're not the one doing the uh, the screen work because whenever I see those studies in the sketchbook, it makes me think it's concentration on a level that I feel we struggle with, I struggle with, yeah. and probably younger people struggle with because it's so distracting to go through, say, a Google image search and see you know, hundreds of this artist that you're looking up or whatever, as opposed to finding an image and then like, okay, I'm going to go work. This is the study. You know, this is uh, focus on the technique or recreation rather than let me look at 2000 images. Right. Yeah, I can see how that can get really distracting. I mean, if, if you've got a resource that's got 100 billion things on it, um, you know, and, and that's I remember my, my first teacher, Mr. Campen, back when I was my early early 20s he he explained what the what the term inertia meant but it, it's a funny thing because it means two different things you know a body in motion stays in motion then a body at rest stays at rest so i think there, we should differentiate the two the terms um inertia one and inertia two <laughs> um that can make up your mind inertia right um so if once you're hooked into that that thing where you're you're looking up stuff, you don't want to stop looking. You want to keep going. So you have to you have to um, you have to willfully stop yourself and keep your eye on the big picture and just cut it off. You know, and that's not easy. You know, p human nature is 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 something <clears throat> where once you're into something, you want to keep going. So. Use that, use that in a smart way, not a dumb way. Totally. Uh, Steve, was, I believe it's an issue of Foom has a piece of very early Steve Rude fan art. Uh, is that your first printed piece, or were you part of a fanzine culture before that at all? Well, uh, that, was, um, that was when I was in high school. And I was, I was really obsessed with uh, uh, collecting back issues of stuff that I had missed. Because I wasn't a collector of comics, I was. Uh, uh, what I did was I would read my friends' comics. They would buy them, and I would read them. And I was just so into Spider-Man, the Ramita Spider-Mans, and the, of course all the Jack Kirby work. But I entirely missed out in, in Kirby's move to DC in 1970. So in high school, when I missed all that stuff, <clears throat> I heard about the comic buyer, uh, the Buyer's Guide for Comic Fandom. <clears throat> And I thought, wow, this is great. I can buy all these old issues here for uh, 50 cents to a dollar. And I, I remember I was living up in a, in a very small town in upper Michigan. We called it the UP, Upper Peninsula. And um, this stuff would come in the mail, these giant manila envelopes. And I would, I would get so excited and I would run out to the mailbox and the snow be, would be coming down, this beautiful snow. And or the fall leaves would be coming down. And I just remember those days so fondly. And I would open up these these envelopes and see these treasures. And I would just, my imagination would just go crazy. And I, and I would, you know, pull these these books out that I would order and, and start drawing from them. <clears throat> but, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that these, these fourth world books, they didn't speak to a lot of people. Well, they spoke to me very clearly. And there's actually some quotes in those books that are so profound. I actually kind of live by their their message. But a lot of people don't get that. So you have to be you have to be tuned into a, a different frequency to really get them. 
and the fact that you know so, uh, you know Infantino considered those fa them failures. Well, was this guy ever really in tune to what those books were really all about? I mean, the fact that he cut them short is kind of criminal to me. And uh, he paid. He um, he was not a smart man to do that. This this should have been something that went way beyond sales. This was a historic thing that was never really going to be ever uh, 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 equaled as a, as a feat of creativity. And he cut it short. And that killed Jack in a lot of ways. In fact, I can't think of anyone who was more abused than the single greatest creator in the comics that ever lived. And that that creator, Jack Kirby. Now, that's really something to think about, isn't it? Yeah, the guy who gave close got treated the worst. Yeah, totally. Like it, the the idea of um, you know Kirby's artwork being kept by Marvel and not not given back, uh, it's been floated by academic scholars like Jeet here. He sent us a note and said that you know this could be the biggest art theft in the history of mankind uh, if you add up you know the sum total of all of those pages that did not get back into jack's hands and got filtered into the market uh that's that's not that's not a light statement and if you if you do the math on some of the stuff that goes for you know six hundred thousand dollars a piece what do you think a you know avengers one cover or fantastic four one cover is going for like you know this is maybe billions of dollars of artwork so of course eventually you... yeah it'll be going for that someday yeah steve when did you start just not depreciate when did you start to recognize that Jack Kirby had been abused? Were you a working professional or were, were you younger? Were you a kid whenever you were like... Well, you just kind of pick up on little things. And it's it's so it's so funny because... Actually, it's anything but funny. But because the higher profile the creator, the more fear they, they invoke. Because Kirby was so powerful and, and had done so much and gave so much. They... they um, they actually kind of reverse reverse their their generosity to him because if if they gave him if they gave him what what he deserved then it was almost like admitting that um they were giving him the credit he deserved and you know how people are they're just cruel and ruthless they will wipe people's names out of history if they if they so if they're so inclined to be so petty they they do this all the time. That's how that's what people are like. And then when they when they start to become in favor again, they'll bring the names back. And that's that's the nature of people. They're they're incredibly bizarre that way. But they they think very small. And unfortunately, that what they what they they just the people they decided to take that abuse on were the most giving people of our industry that there ever was. But in time, that changes, and now they're giving him all these awards, and he's back in favor, and everyone loves him again. But at the time, Jack was still alive. You know, I, I don't got to tell you how badly they treated him. That's pathetic, isn't it? It's human nature to be – it's bad human nature. Good human nature is the opposite. Did that inform your decision to do a book like Nexus? Um, it's, it's something I wanted to ask you about. You know, you spend so much of your career – as independent doing creator-owned work and i have to imagine marvel and dc and writers were just coming to you with projects you know um i consider you one of the greatest superhero comic book artists of all time so i assume there were offers to like come on over do more marvel do more dc but you did a lot of your work as independent creator-owned work 
Is that a result of looking at abuses by those big companies? Well, I think the first the first time I was that I was deliberate about that was when I was offered the X Men, and that was back in the mid mid eighties by by Chris Claremont, whom I like a lot. And I turned it down because it was just the wrong thing to do. I could feel internally it was wrong. I was I was giving I was giving some credit to the to people I didn't think it was it was the wrong move politically and, and internally. You know that's not what I stood for. What I stood for was something beyond um, just going over and, and doing a book that would have made me a lot a lot of money, but it it would have been selling out and. And I just, I'm not inclined to be that kind of person. Um, money has never been a factor to me. Uh, what I what I want, you know, Nexus to me is a Marvel book. Because everything I grew up loving, observing, and feeling came from the 1960s Marvel books from, from Stan and Jack. So <clears throat> that is a Marvel book to me. But... Um, it was only from that decade. Everything after that got watered down and and um, kind of <clears throat> sent into the ether and, and 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 kind of dissolved in a lot of a lot of impure ways. And the way they are now is is you know unrecognizable. Um, so you, you whatever whenever you decide, whenever you consent to do something for these big companies, you're 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 endorsing this kind of stuff. When the 2000s came along, I and I and I did all these Marvel miniseries. That was my way of putting my stamp on things. So it was better it was better to do it than not to do it. I had my chance to do the Kirby versions and the Romita version of Spider Man. I was very proud of those things. So it's it was far better to to do them than not to do them, because people saw them, and it for the guys that knew the influences, it would harken back to the memories that I had for doing those books in the first place. And for the guys that didn't know them, they would be curious, you know, where did this, where did this sensibility come from? And they're going to start investigating like everyone who didn't grow up on those things. And then there'd, there'd be this cause and effect that would take place. And that's, that's what you want to do as you age. You know, when we, when we were young, we didn't know anything about these things that we know about now. But the generation older than us taught us through what they did. And they begot, we, uh, you know, they begot us. Now we begot, we could, we begot someone else. And then someday, you know, those guys we begot are going to be begot someone else and on and on it goes. So the, the, the chain of, the chain of, of, um, of posterity is, is critical to me as in the age that I'm at now and what I stand for in the work that I do with, with the Nexus books at this time. So when did, uh, when did Toth get on your radar? Uh, actually, I didn't even know who he was. I, uh, I was, I was told that some Alex guy designed space ghost and I didn't even know who that was. Um, but I was such a fan of space ghost growing up. It just hit, this this six minute cartoon show had all the elements that got me really excited when I was when I was younger, and I still look at some of these episodes and, and get uh, really revved up because I've examined them through the eyes of 
someone who's who's <clears throat> been an, a, an artist, comic book artist, and illustrator for all these years. And um, some of those episodes, especially the ones that Alex laid out, show an incredible amount of work and attention um, to the craft that made some of these episodes, the really good ones, what they were. And Alex himself had nothing good to say about the show, but you know, who does that surprise? Right. <laughs> you know, he didn't like anything. I remember I got him on the phone one time and I, first time I ever talked to him, he was very gracious. Of course, you know, that's, that's just a one-time call, you know, call number two was like, get off the phone, you son of a bitch, you know, kind of a thing. That's the way he always is. That's his MO. And everyone knows that you, you can't sustain a relationship with a manic depressive and whatever else he, whatever else category he fell into. Um, but at that time he was, uh, caught him in a good mood and we had a, we had a nice talk. And, and when I brought up space ghost, he goes, no, no, I didn't like that one. But space angel, that's the one I liked. I thought, what is space angel? So I knew nothing about this stuff. But slowly but surely, you know, you 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 accumulate this knowledge of who did what, and and then you start seeing the model sheets, and and you know, this piece by piece, and and um, and info by bits of info, you start to accumulate what you're supposed to do with your lifetime, which is accumulate knowledge of your chosen field, so you can get smarter and smarter about about your craft and make yourself better and better. Did you know that you wanted to make comics whenever you went to art school? Uh, by the time I got into high school, I, I was pretty set. You know, um, the high school years were very form uh, formidable. Formidable, what's the word? Formative. For formative, yeah, there you go. And they were formidable too. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <clears throat> That's that's the that's the age, you know, I was always bubbling with intensity, you know, incredible volcanic intensity. Um, I don't know how many people detected that, but uh, when I would read the Glacy Master of Kung Fu's or some of the Kirby books, you know, I was just in in, in this uh, in this uh, volcanic lava mode. When I would read these things, they would affect me so deeply. Because I was, I, I was like, I was, in, I was tuned into a different, with different wavelength than most people. And I, when I would read these things, the effect in them would, would be profound. And it was so deep that um, when I had my chance to finally start attempting to uh, to do what what my influences did, you know, I, I had, I had, I had the mindset, but I didn't have the abilities. So it took, it took years, you know, Glacy was somebody who was my idol in high school from, from strictly a master of Kung Fu. This guy got in the business at like 21 or eight, 20 or whatever. I was barely eligible to be, to be, uh, even in, in the pro ranks at 24. I actually wasn't. So that just goes to show that I was a fairly average talent. I was above average even get in at that age but um you know as just as glacy kind of um incrementally uh improved exponentially ch changed and improved with issue to issue uh that was something that 
I was able to showcase when I got into the field. You can see from the black and white issues of Nexus till finally the color issue came along, there was, there was a, a noticeable improvement and change. And um, so you're kind of caught in the act. You're kind of chronicled uh, in a way that um, uh, in print for all to see for all times, uh, the improvements that can take place. Now, after a while, those improvements are much more subtle. There's no, there's no gigantic leap that takes place anymore, um, unless you get worse, which is, which is always an option. A lot of people just descend after like 20 years. I'm sure you guys know you're the artist that um, you would, you would pick out for the, in that category. Um, but I always say there's nothing, there's nothing that says you have to get better and better. Um, if you do get, if you, I, I think it's just enough to, to maintain your standards and never drop. And you want to do that for a couple of reasons. One, you don't want to let your fans down. If you let your fans down, well, we're all fans and we know what it feels like to have our favorite artists drop their standards, but it can be kind of devastating. Well, there's another guy that's going to let us down. We depend on these guys to deliver great work for us, but now they're not. So that's kind of, that's a real letdown. We don't have those people to count on anymore. And the other reason is, <clears throat> Well, I'm trying to think. There, there is another reason. I can't think of it right now. What's the other reason you, you never want to lower your standards? I feel like it's pretty uh, personal. It doesn't have to do with getting work. I don't think about it like that. I just think it's a disgrace to yourself. Yeah. To have that happen. Yeah, it can personally erode you, I think, if you're not pushing yourself to grow. You know, it does. It, I, I do think that can be a corrosive thing on, you know, on who you are. You know, if you're cutting corners. You know, if you're not pushing yourself to improve and, and keep working. Well, I, I wonder about that. You know, when I've confronted people, you know, I'm 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 not one to let people just slide when I see them doing that. Um, there's two ways you can deal with it. You can ignore it and just pretend it's not there. Well, that's what everyone does. You know, they just well, he's just kind of going through this thing, and he's not is interested in pushing himself anymore. And well. I don't want to go that route. That's too easy. So I, I actually, you know, tell people, I said, what the hell's going on? You know, what can you see what's happening to your work? And they're going to get all defensive and yell at you and all this kind of stuff. But <clears throat> later on, if they have any sincere interest in, in, <clears throat> in stopping that process, that this disintegration process, they're going to thank you for it. But most people do not see it. And that's the most alarming thing that I've noticed of all. They don't even see it happening. So because I'm so incredibly self-monitored, um, that's my only reason that I can think of for um, seeing that happen to others. Man, the hell if that's ever going to happen to me. Well, Steve, tell us about when, when you got feedback from from Toth when you sent him some samples you know very famous correspondence when he when he was very very critical of the work uh what what was that feedback like um well and how how early things... how early was that in your career also i don't exactly know the uh, timeline of that yeah well uh when the Kamiko Johnny Quest came out um uh when the Kamiko Johnny Quest came out whatever the year that was i think that was 86 that's when I sent Alex. I was always interested in getting critiques, so I sent those pages off to Alex, and uh, and he sent me, you know, this like five or six page thing back, 
And uh, this is hardly unique to me. Whenever anyone has sent something off, they get, I mean, you could sit on the right hand of God and he would blast you for something. But there's two things I remember that stood out from that critique. One of them was uh, a reversal of camera direction. Well, that doesn't apply to comics. But Alex is so tuned into being as critical as possible. Like he's got this, this like list of rules that uh, he uses as a, as a defense, uh, just just to make people feel terrible, right? That's kind of what he's about, actually. So hiding behind the rules is part of what Alex does. Well, <clears throat> you can reverse direction all the time in comics, and it doesn't affect the story at all. In film, it does, because you can't go back and look at the panel before it. Right. In fact, some of the most dynamic moves you can make in comics is reverse screen direction because it startles people. Um, <clears throat> it shocks people in a way that if you kept screen direction consistent, <clears throat> um, it wouldn't shock them nearly as much as when you reverse it. So the other, the other thing he pointed out that was good was he goes, <clears throat> this uh, Uzi is a spray weapon. It's not a, 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 um, a aim and point. Well, fine. Well, it looked to me, it looked a little more dramatic to have that come up like that. That's like a that's like a uh, just before you kill somebody moment. Uh, so what's better to have them hold it like this or have them, you know, aiming like that, which is a telltale move of you're about to kill somebody. The biggest mistake he made for the record is <clears throat> he goes, uh, what kind of camera is this, Steve? He goes, I'm a camera expert and I can't recognize this. Well, Never mind that I told him that it wasn't a camera in the first place. It was a, it was a range finder uh, that that um, uh, surveyors used to, and that was part of the equipment that Doctor Quest had when he was out there doing surveying in in the desert area that he was assigned to work at. But you can't tell Alex that. In fact, when I tried to tell him that, you know, he blew up at me. So you're dealing with a guy with a mentality that is that is geared entirely towards being critical. There's no reasoning with him, and there's no there's no um, <clears throat> there's no correcting him. He's just there to criticize and make you feel terrible. And there's a lot of people that are like that. Um, everyone that's ever met him, or even hasn't met him, has an Alex Toth story, and they're all similar. They don't waver from the things that I've just told you. He's there to hurt. And it wasn't until he was on his deathbed when they finally shoved some medicine medication into him that he finally started to uh, his brain chemistry changed a little bit because he in his entire life he never once uh, <clears throat> he never once um, <clears throat> um, I, there's a c word I'm trying to think of uh, um, <clears throat> let's just call it. Gave into the fact that he might need some help. All right. So he didn't. And he stayed that way his whole life because he's too stubborn to admit that he might need some help. So he, he existed in a state of, of uh, contention and misery his whole life. Man, I have so many directions I want to go. 
while we're talking yeah, just, jo Johnny Quest, yeah. um, I wonder about Doug Wildey. Was that an artist that, that influenced you or that you admired his work? Was, was Johnny Quest, you know, you mentioned Space Ghost. Was Johnny Quest one of the cartoons whenever you were younger that had an impact? Well, the, the interesting thing about, be, you know, being a kid back then was we, we never saw these shows in color. And we never once missed the fact that we weren't watching them in color. There were black and white TV sets about, you know, about, you know, 20 inches high. And the other thing I remember about uh, watching the show was the whole family used to watch it. You know, the three, the three rude kids and then my mom and dad, we'd sit around the TV and watch that show. It would come on on like 6.30 or whatever it was. And uh, the whole family would watch the show and be entertained by it. Um, so it, it, we're talking about a seminal influence here, a very early on influence. And as, as you get older, you, you, those, those influences become, they, they either go away or they become stronger. Well, for me, they became stronger. So you have to wonder sometimes, you know, this whole idea of, of some people call it destiny. You know, that's a little too average a term for me. It's a little, it's a little too I've heard it before, you know, I like to make up my own words, like, <clears throat> is, is a path predestined in some way? Is it meant to go a certain way uh, from the very beginning? You know, these are things we don't know. <clears throat> and I'm assuming that, you know, even being an atheist, I think that <clears throat> the answers that you're going to find that are not known to you mortally as a mortal, you find out when you're dead. I think I read too many stories and heard too many firsthand, uh, firsthand and secondhand stories um, from people to to believe that the answers come to you somehow when you die. All the things you're you're denied as a mortal human being, they come to you when you die. So, which is kind of silly, really. You know, like it'd be kind of it'd be kind of nice to know them now while you're alive. Instead of when you're dead and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> so um, who knows? But you know, you you know, I think the only way we can register how much that's true is through our through our conscience. You know, your conscience is a thing that's a very bizarre thing. It tells you when you're doing something wrong and when you're doing something right. Now, where does where, where what exactly is that thing all about? How can something within you be smarter than you are on the outside? But to me, that's something, because it's something very internal and it's smarter than you are on the outside, what is that really all about? Because <clears throat> uh, I remember when I would I would think about dating certain girls, my conscience would go out like like in crazy. It says, stay away from this woman. She's gonna she's gonna kill you. And it was always right. When I met Janelle, it was, it was all, it was all, perfectly right. In, in a way that was so serene, and, and so perfect. And of course, it was always right. You guys know every living person, listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. If they have any sense of anything in their life, we all know what that's like. So, um, I'm asking them. And you guys, what is that all about? So the path that we're on right now, the only path that's wrong in life is when you're you're not doing something with your life. When you're just kind of sitting there, you know, uh, 
smoking away and and drinking away and and you're just delaying something out of fear or whatever and a lot of people do that with their lives um they destroy their lives and that's that's an option there's nothing that says you you have to live a life and be productive but um you know, are we, are we going to be reincarnated if you live a life like that? If you destroyed your, your your time here, are you going to come back and have a second chance? Uh, I wouldn't bet on that. I would just say, you know, this is your only chance, and 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 um, don't count on your, yourself coming back and getting a second chance, Jack. <laughs> Use it now, and and if you if you're if you're able to. Um, through whatever means, whatever earthly means you're able to, to find out. Face what you are and change it. And there's there's nobody, yeah, somebody will help you, you know, somebody somewhere maybe, but there's so few people that, I, that ever actually will come into your life and help you see what you, you're becoming so you can change your life around. There should be way more people than, than there is like that. But really there's, it's really kind of just you that has to deal with it. Now, fortunately, I'm a real self-starter. So when I see people that are that are just kind of stagnating like that, I do everything I can to make them see what I'm able to do with my life. And maybe that'll affect them somehow. Steve, did you have any periods professionally? that you look back on and you think, you know, you were going in the wrong direction or, you know, you look back and wish you had done something differently? Well, there, I remember in, when I turned 50, I was, I was, I was at a crossroads. I didn't know what I was going to do. And for a while I went into this uh, fine art field and uh, I was there for about five years. And then I realized at the end of five years that I hated it. And it's mostly because of the people. I never got any kind of a real feedback. The people were, I, I realized they were incredible snobs. So that had a lot to do with, with my decision. If I had gotten a lot of um, positive feedback and pats in the back and things like that, but I never got that. And once I, once I saw these the things, these elements for what they were, I got out. And I, I, I came back to what to what I really wanted to do, which is illustration and comic books. I think I think the the pursuit of, of of storytelling, graphically taking up picking up, grabbing a pencil and, and putting down a story on paper, is I don't think there's anything that I would ever want to do with my life that would be a greater calling than that, because the challenges in that are a lifetime worth of challenges, and there's no exhausting it. Every time you sit down and do a new story, it's almost like starting over again. Can't agree more, man. There is a question that that came up on the on the channel fa fairly recently. Uh, one of the things that we do here is uh, go through the old Wizard magazines and and kind of just track the speculator boom and stuff like that. They did a big feature on Nexus uh, in like say issue fifty something or other, and they mentioned that after first comics goes away, that it they explicitly said it in a way that suggested Mike Richardson bought the rights to Nexus and gave them back to you guys. Is that how it played out? Yes. 
and and me and Baron had well actually Baron had the wherewithal to say we need to take an ad out in one of the trade magazines and thank him for that which we did uh, Mike Richardson is a very generous human being as opposed to the people who are not which are legion is that a situation where these guys priced the rights out of out of your range uh personally well this is a this is a situation of pure ignorance um we we had the me and Baron both had a chance uh, and I blame this more on Baron than me. I was I was so stupid it wouldn't have mattered. But Baron was older and should have known better. I have no idea why he didn't wake up and say, "Why don't we own this thing? We did all the work. You turkeys just published it." So why he didn't step in and just say those very things? I don't know why. Uh, I think it was just just plain brainwashing um, that he should have woken up to to me. Um, so capital had the rights. They never should have had them in the first place. They sold them to first, first was happy to take them. And then when we finally moved over to dark horse, um, somehow Mike Richardson had, had the, uh, generosity of spirit to, um, buy the rights for God knows how much money and, and give them back to us. I mean, how often do you see that? It's, was was there anything was there anything attached to that like uh here's the right so why don't you give me a mini series every year or is that implied no not at all no i think he, i think he just i mean it was it was implied that he loved the, the character and wanted us to keep going with it i mean who would who, that's what we did me and baron so of course we wanted to keep going with it that was our lifeblood that was our, our mark of sanity to keep going with the work that we were born to do and love to do and wanted to keep doing. So if we didn't keep doing that, you know, what would we have in life? I, my whole identity is tied in with my work. Um, so of course I'd want to keep doing it. And that's why I'm, I'm doing it to this day. It's uh, everything that I am is tied into uh, not, not just doing it, but how good it is. That's critical to me. Seeing, you know, seeing how earlier I mentioned how how some people just descend in, into oblivion. I mean, that's all the more important for me to never um, get into that that category of, um, you know, what ha what happened to this guy. That's just unthinkable to me. So yeah, Dark Horse that they bought it up and they they gave it back to us. No strings. What are the rights like now? Have you and Baron gone separate directions? Are you both doing your own nexus at this point? Yeah, when I, when I formed Rude Dude in in uh, 1996, or was it 2006? I don't even remember. 1996, I think I formed Rude Dude, and me and Baron obviously we're going to get back together. And I read his scripts and I thought, what the hell is this? I literally didn't understand the, the stories anymore. Uh, he made a left turn into an area that that was uh, I didn't know what what the stories were even about anymore. And uh, I was just I, I showed him to to the former editor of Dark Horse, Anina Bennett, and she goes, "I don't know what these are about either. But I was just shocked to my core. And you know, stupidly, I for the next fifteen years, i try I tried desperately to get Baron back on track. And it nothing worked. So the lesson I learned from that is, you know, I was, you, I don't know what lesson I learned. 
except I wasted 15 years trying to talk him into being the old Baron. Um, <clears throat> and then I had to go through this crisis of, 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 of intellect, I guess you'd call it, where what am I going to do? Well, <clears throat> the only answer was I have to learn how to write. Did I ever want to learn how to write? No. Uh, did I ever aspire to want to be a writer? No, never. I just wanted to, I wanted Baron to give me my, my great, his great stories and it was never going to happen. So I went through a couple steps of trying to recruit people, uh, a total of 12 people and every one of them never even came close. So I was faced with a brick wall, either learn how to write or you're never going to be able to bring that, uh, have Nexus back again. It was literally, it was literally a brick wall. There's no, there's no getting around it. It was an impenetrable wall. So I reasoned things out. I, I guess in the way that Captain Kirk might. How would somebody go about learning how to write? Well, the answer is is really more simple than than most people might think about. If you take away the the, the garbage and the blockage in your head that are that are only going to be there out of out of I guess thinking a certain way and that is everyone is grown up seeing reading and watching stories their whole life you know what you like you know what you would want to read <clears throat> so i got out seven or so of my favorite this and that tv shows i watched the tv shows and i got out six of my favorite comics <clears throat> and that was fun i analyzed them what's in these books right here that i've, I've loved for the, the last 30 years why do these books stand up above all the rest and it didn't come right away it still hasn't come right away i just know that what these books had was all the right stuff so slowly you know and agonizingly i i allowed myself to um learn something that was that was that was not natural to me drawing is natural to me whatever part of your brain is adaptable to that part of, of the creative process was natural. Writing is, is at a different part of the brain that was probably pretty minimal to me. But you can learn these things. And so just like any other success story, it, it was incremental, baby steps. And uh, as long as I held a sense of positivity and belief, it was okay. When I started to think negative, it crashed just like that. And there was a lot of moments of negativity. Like, who am I kidding here? I can't do this. I can never reach Baron's ability when I, when he was giving me the best stories on earth. So it's still kind of like that. That can still creep in. But <clears throat> after, after all the work I put into this and all the, the minute to minute study that I, I'm always tuned into when I look at something or read something, Ah, okay, you know, I mean, my brain is almost in tune to all the things that have to do with writing all the time. There's never a moment when it's, when it's, it's turned off. So, you know, given the last four years of thinking like that, uh, you'll learn because you really want to learn and your future is dependent on it. Do, you want, do I want to let down a bunch of Nexus readers that are used to the great stories of Baron? No way. So you better rise. I better rise to it. You mentioned earlier that Nexus was um, 
you know, like a Marvel comic from, from the 60s. Do you still view it that way or is it something different now as you've gotten older and, and done more stories? I don't, as I've gotten older, I don't really think of it. I think of it kind of as a progressive thing. Um, you know, working for Marvel and those guys working for Marvel was a finite run, wasn't it? You know, things change because it's, it's because of the, the corporation stri strictures that, uh, that were present in a, in a company, you know, it's for Nexus, it's just me. You know, I'm the conductor of everything that goes on. I write it, draw it, um, supervise the coloring, letter it, uh, produce it, publish it, see, see what kind of paper is the right thing for it, literally everything. And uh, that's the way I think the future of comics is going. I think when, when I think this whole thing where I want to work for Marvel, I want to work for DC is always going to be there. But I think it's I think it's starting to. I think it's starting, it's, it's growing arteries and it's starting to branch out into different things that I think is, is probably the healthiest things I've ever heard, ever heard about. You're not tied down to these companies anymore. You can, there's this thing called self-publishing going on. It's been going on for a while now. And um, hit a button, go online. Oh, this, you can self-publish these books. Here's a, a place that will take, your material and put it together in a book and staple it for you and you can you can get a hundred copies of your book and pass them out nowadays and this isn't something that kirby had in 1970 when he wanted to change the whole world with all these ideas he had he couldn't do it back then we can do it now so honor the things that people back then wanted to do but couldn't we can do them now guys and that's what i'm doing i'm crowdfunded Everything I do is based on how much money I get to sustain me as I sit here. Um, and everything I make is is due to the generosity of people that pledge money. What's some of the new stuff you have uh, on the horizon? Um, everything I do is incredibly exciting. Super, can you get that? Uh, the next is working there. Can you reach that? Jessica is going to reach down and grab the first of many um, things that I've done as the sole conductor. Now, now, I don't know if you've seen this right here. Oh yeah, we did an episode on it. This is literally, and I've, I've used this statement more than once, I, all I can do is call it the crowning moment of my career. It's 300 pages long. The story is 100 pages long, entirely done by me, even the lettering. And I loved every second of doing this. It was hard work, but everything that's that's everything that glows with pride is always because of hard work. The harder the work is, the more you, the more satisfaction you get out of something when you pull it off. And the, the, I, everything about it is <clears throat> that's why I call it the crowning moment. Everything I've ever done has led up to this right here, and I'm just so proud of it. And uh, <clears throat> word needs to get out because. It's unbelievable how many people write or call or whatever, and they say, there's new Nexus out. I didn't know that. So knowing that that's <clears throat> a prickly thing with me. I mean, even, even the store owners don't even know about it. So we've got to reverse that kind of thinking. In the meantime, um, we're re-releasing the book uh, so I can 
possibly get into the category of uh, getting noticed by the the award ceremonies going on. We're going to re-release that book right there with a new cover. And that cover, um, I think this is where a good point where I'm going to I'm going to detach the cord here and give you a little tour of, of the, the studio here. And, and I the wanna, first thing, yeah, go ahead. the first thing I'm going to show you is uh, what I'm working on right now. This is the the new cover. <clears throat> there, so, now you can see it, right? Fantastic, Steve. How no, big is that painting? Yeah, good question. I was just about to answer that. It's twenty by thirty inches. And what's it on? What's the what's the uh, the material underneath? It's uh, illustration board. Yeah, and what's it's. It's painted with uh, opaque watercolor and colored pencil. What's the good board, man? You on a uh, crescent board? Yeah, it is. That's the only illustration board there is, I think. Here, do you want to hold it super? Okay. Little Jessica's going to hold things. So here's the, here's the uh, area that I work with right here. And you can see the colored pencils that I have in the two water dishes. And here's the opaque watercolor that I work with right here, based on the wash. And there's my John Pipe palette right there. Man, that's sexy. You know what's funny is like, you see those colors and they look like rude colors. Yeah. <laughs> it's the rude palette. That's the rude palette right there, yeah. And a lot of guys work with small palettes. I don't know why they do that. I have no idea. And if I want to, you know, this is all water soluble. So if I want to clean the palette, which you, you want to do often, you just uh, you just wipe it off. A lot what's of paper a, towels. What's the best brand of watercolors these days? That's any kind of professional brand. Winsor Newton, M. Graham. We everyone knows the right brands. And another thing that I'm doing right now that other people have have no idea that I'm, I'm big on is use Chinese brushes. I mean, I paint sometimes the entire picture with this this one brush right here. And the only other, other brush that I use is the big flats, the one inch flats. But you can get incredible detail with this, this brush right here. And I learned that from some of the uh, watercolors that I watch on YouTube to learn watercolor better. Oh, that's so cool. That's so yeah. cool. That's so cool that you stay maintain that student mentality and are watching YouTube videos for this sort of thing in the same way that that anybody is from the, you know this amateurish level to student level to young professional. That that that's that's a cool note. Well, it's no fun just to pretend you're anything but a student because that's really what you are your whole life. Um, um, we've got some files over here. These are my files that I store all my reference material in. And this is the stuff that you've had you've had that going on since uh, the 70s? Yeah, the late 70s. When my teacher taught me how to put one of these together right here. That's so is Jessica, cool. Jessica, you got this here? Are you able to see this super? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, let's see. I'm going to move this chair out of the way. And down here are some more files. And some more brushes and some more acrylics and other mediums, things like that. It's a very well this behaved puppy. <laughs> hound dog. This hound dog. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and um, I'm going to move over to move you over to the next station that I have in my in my game room, my converted game room, and that's the animation desk. Which should have a built-in light table, right? Yeah, here's the animation desk right here. This is the desk that uh, uh, Doug Wiley called me up one day and said, "Look, I've got this desk that I've used my whole career, and I'm not really using it anymore. Would you like to come and take it away?" I said, yeah, you don't got to ask me twice, Doug. So I, the thing was so big, we had to open up a window and and move it out that way. It wouldn't fit through a door. He said, just bring a pickup truck. So I did. And uh, this is a genuine, um, uh, you know, for real with a disc animation desk right here. And um, here, I'll show you how this, what I've been working on. This is uh, all stuff for the, the Nexus show. That I've been working on forever, and if you if you can see how this limited animation stuff works, there's the main drawing, and then there's Thunder pointing right there. That's so. And sweet. that's as basic as it works right there. Can you see that? Okay. Oh yeah. Good. Um, but I've been I've been uh, for the last like year or so I've been really hardcore into learning animation. And I find it fascinating. It's just the kind of challenge I need in my life right now. So when I need a breather or I need to do something different, I just come over to the desk here and and just practice this stuff. And I'll, I'll take still shots off the TV uh, for my favorite shows to examine how it works. So I'm, I've, I've always, I'm not just learning how to do the bouncing ball to learn the bouncing ball. I'll learn it. I'll learn from the still shots and then go back to see how the bouncing ball applies to um, the stuff I see on, on the actual show. Like those gloop and gleep guys from the Herculoids, it's just nothing but a bouncing ball. So I, I go back and apply the basic principles to the, the more complex principles to learn the art form that way. I've been super into doing hand animation as well. And I was reading this interview with uh, Carl Barks in those conversations books. The the other the lesson that gets you into Disney at the time, like in the forties or whatever, it was uh, you have to animate a waving flag. Yeah, it's the way they, they call it the wave principle. It's nothing more than uh, a dog's tail waving or hair moving like this. It's all the same thing, you know. These it's 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 this foundational to to our artists is the cube and this the sphere and all that kind of stuff. It's it all breaks down to the very simplest things and. Uh, in time, you'll start you start to bridge bridge the um, the complex stuff into the simplest stuff, and the simplest stuff is, are things like this. Um, so it's just learning the stuff is it's my life's work is learning these things. Um, this is a um, an exposure sheet right there, and this is all just the way they used to do it. This is the way I'm learning it. Eventually, if I get my show, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, we'll convert these things to the computer things. But for right now, um, this is how I want to learn things. So, are you making that exposure sheet yourself? Yeah. So you create uh, you, no, you I, make like an MP3 or something, and then go through the frames. Well, I don't even know what an MP3 is. <laughs> I just know, you know, a physical sheet. You know, this is uh, Sundra one, and then two and three, and you time it out on a on a stopwatch right 
turn it on and let's see, she's going to, she's going to go from here to he here to here. And okay. So I go up here and it's 117. Well, let's see. That means she's going to have at least 24 frames between 24 and 30. So I'm going to, she's going to have to go be, she's going to be, uh, uh, like 26 frames or so I need 26 drawings, but if she's on two, I can cut that in half Right. to 12. Okay. So I can only do the most minimal of math because my, my math, the math part of my brain is almost infinitesimally small. Um, but I work with what I have. Uh, this is some of the, the reference, the art books that I've accumulated over the years. So I'm always referring to those. And down here on the floor are some of the hundreds and hundreds of um, pre-production things I've done for the Nexus show. <clears throat> These are mouth charts for Sandra to show the animators uh, how she looks when she moves her mouth. These are critical so people know how to draw them. <clears throat> These are... Uh, these are folders right here. This is Sandra sitting and standing. I've got three of these, these folders because they, they keep growing and growing. And this is what they look like. So I've got the basic drawing. And then I've got uh, close-ups and then mouth charts and tilts of the head and, you know, things like that. Um, I'm often quick to point out that no show in history has ever had as much pre-production work as the Nexus, the proposed Nexus TV show. And that's what I do. That's what I do in my spare time. There's some mouth charts that go with um, the face you just saw. There's ray blasts coming out of her little, her little um, device down there. Such great figures. Yeah, all of these are all of these are done on twelve field paper by me. So basically, every every imaginable pose and then specific poses I've already got done for the show. So I think when we actually get the production, if and when, um, I don't know how much these guys are, these guys working with me are actually going to have a chance to do, but I need, I need, I still need, you know, probably at least 40 people to help me do the, the entire show. But um, it's, it's basically, you know, 90% of it is already done to ensure that it's going to be looking the way I want it to. Um, here's the wall right here of all this stuff that I just got on the wall right here. This poster is uh, done by one of my favorite all-time artists, Bruce Sturson. He gave me this when I was visiting him. I've known him for a good 20 years, and he's the greatest living illustrator to me. No one even comes close to him. He's so good. Um, I've been studying his work for so long, uh, he's just the greatest. Yeah, great documentary so about, him. about him. What's that? It's a great documentary that people can enjoy yeah. about him. Yeah, and I, I wish I had more. I, you know, he's 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 kind of going health wise, but um, I just told you now the other day. I said I'd give anything if I had more times to visit him. And some of my greatest times have been just being with him in the studio, um, and just relaxing and talking about things and um i won't, I won't have a chance to have this anymore with him and I, I i you know i was telling you know i always want more no matter how much i get from somebody i always want more but he, he gave me this right here and um so many good memories of being with him
So there's the, well, this is the model couch right here. You can see I'm preparing to do a, a new painting of Chloe here. And she sits on the model couch. Right, Chloe? Some pooch portraits. Yeah. This is uh, paper. Every imaginable kind of paper that I work with right here. Um, watercolor paper, um, pastel paper, illustration board, um, white media board, um, you know, you know, everything imaginable. Um, here's some oversized paper that I bought in when I was overseas. It's huge. They don't sell this in the States, so I bought it here. Um, here's some more reference books right here. You can see that. Tons and tons of art books. And here's some more um, uh, work on the Nexus TV show. This one says Nexus and ship, Nexus in action, Nexus firing, um, supporting characters, Horatio headshots. And down here is some of the animation that I've done that needs to be tested. And we don't have a testing uh, setup here, but I'm hoping to get one soon so I can see how these things actually move. Encyclopedias, I bought those back in 1980, and they're invaluable. You can never do without those. And uh, over here, we have the oil painting. You're always going to want to have one of these for any artist. Anyone that doesn't work in oil should be ashamed of themselves. This is the most time-honored medium there is. And you can see what I've got going on here uh, on the actual easel. This is a commission painting of here of... Uh, Dale Arden from Flash Gordon. And there's the actual canvas that I'm working on. That's uh, uh, 30 by 40. And to the left here is the reference material that I'm using to work from. A lot of studies that go on, charcoal studies of faces and uh, the light studies there from Jessica that I shot outside. And over here is the palette that I work on and all the mediums and the brushes that I have. Very exciting place to work. Down here are all the materials and extra brushes that I need to work from, to work with. So the difference between what I have going on here compared to when I lived at the Y as a student, as a kid, as a 20-something, is you don't got to move everything out of the way with the single setup that you have. Uh, everything is a different station, uh, is a permanent thing. So when you want, when you're, if you want to work in oil, you just go and everything's set up and ready to go. Over here is the pastel area right here. So every medium that I've ever wanted to work with has a separate station. These uh, little cabarets that I, I built by myself, I'm not a woodworker, but I learned. I could draw them and I just went out over to Home Depot and got the wood and built them myself. You can see my all the pastels that I've gotten over the years. I don't have a million of them like some of these snobs have. I just have the basic stuff. I built this right here, too, for my specs. You know, if you can draw them, you can make them. Just the right height with all the right compartments. So That's a gorgeous um, setup, man. That's a beautiful setup. Yeah, studio. it's just great. You're surrounded by all the things you need. Everything is what I call fingertip access. And here's the little thing that I'm working on right now. 
will you work is... will you work on all of that stuff a little bit each day or uh just you you go by what you're interested in well you know my my life is basically over there drawing the comics and stuff but when i get the urge or if i'm going to be doing something that i know is coming up in in uh in say pastel you know i'll i'll come over here and and prep myself and start getting uh used to the pastel again you know because i always want to i always want to prime myself to get ready for something it's better to be prepared than not prepared because you know this is something that you have to um you have to get your feet wet all over again And besides, it's just, it's just fun. You know, all this stuff is fun for me. So um, to have a chance to go back to, you know, these these different mediums here, it's just part of the fun of being an artist. Steve, are you selling all of that art? Like, is that a, a study, a commission? A... It's a study. You know, these are things I do just for the fun of it. Because art is supposed to be fun. And I want to have fun. <laughs> you know? This is nice Canson paper that I work on. And then I, and then no artist wants to be without their own sink and fridge, mini fridge. You don't have to go into a separate sink to, to get, um, wash your hands off and all that kind of stuff. Wives and partners appreciate that, that singular sink in the art room as well, so that you don't get uh, <laughs> black all over the sink in, in the kitchen. Yeah. You're with if you're with your wife and she sees you getting her kitchen her sink dirty she's not going to like that and uh, on occasion i'll leave house I'll, I'll pour down one of these right here assuming it works <laughs> just to keep my energy level up and here's a xerox machine that i use all the time just you know i was i was going to ask you for the xerox was it was a big part of your process for blowing up thumbnails or it is, what? yeah especially the fact that I can reverse things to see the flaws in the work, you know, if the eyes are skew or things like that. Um, I've got tons of works in progress. This is a watercolor of Gwen Stacy. Um, that is not finished, but I'm looking forward to finish it someday. A lot of things got started and never finished. Uh, I think a lot of artists know about that. But this is just one of the many, many studies I do just to, um, keep learning about watercolor. I've got the same thing going on with oil over here. You know, canvases over here. These are all oil studies that I've done. Just little things that I, I learn by doing just to keep my hand in what it's like to work with thick oil paint. It's so gorgeous. And some, sometimes I'll set up little still lives and do flowers and things like that. And that's what they look like. Things like this. And it's all in the name of fun and just learning new things. I kind of love those, the, the paintings that have like all the studies on one canvas. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And then finally, you know, we have the wall of the rest of the books right here. These are all my sketchbooks up here. These go back to high school here in my early 20s. 
And these are the ones that go on from there up through 37, sketchbook 37. A lot of them are all beat up because I use them. Yeah, I noticed, I noticed that uh, looking at your newest sketchbook, one of the things that I really liked is when you see the, the paper part, you know, not the, not the spine, you see the warp, and you yeah. know that there's some watercolor and some media on those pages. Yeah, they're definitely, they've definitely been used, sometimes even abused by comic festivals over here, but most of these things are empty right here. Because there's very few, few books that I've, I've, I've wanted to keep over the years, so these are only the... Um, the Grand Master works. Here's all the Kirby FFs, the Thor's and the Caps, Mandy Demon, um, Kirby's Fourth World. All the you know, all the great stuff is has survived and it's intact. So, um, what are some of the surprising are... pieces that might be in there? Uh, you know, you named all Kirby stuff. So, uh, you know, what, what else does Steve Rude like? Well, there's Master of Kung Fu's. There's Burns FF. Um, there's Spider-Man's, there's a Kirby 70 stuff, there's the Badgers, there's Concrete, Johnny Quest, there's actually Omaha in here. Omaha would, would be it. There's some Alex Ross stuff, there's my friend Glenn Orbeck, who was my teacher at the Calabasas Art School. Um, you know, this this is really good stuff, either stuff from, mostly stuff that I've either revered over the years or, or recent stuff that I can learn from. There's there's on occasion recent books that have come out that I've that I've been sent or whatever and I I recognize how how good they are and I'll keep those as just keeping my 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 brain intact with what they're doing now and how things have evolved and changed and just look at them and be reminded of, of, of the direction things are going in because they're they're wildly. Um, uh, divergent with with the way things are going and that's a real healthy thing and they're they're i think they're most of them have nothing to do with marvel or dc they're all they're all um they're all things that that are self-generated and i again i think that's very healthy people are just taking things into their own hands and and just self-producing so that's the trend i proof that's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger people want to have their hosts their on their own saying things they're not going to wait to get permission from an editor that's going to get back to them in a year. They're, the waiting time is over. They're just, they're just going to launch those themselves into things and get on with it. Very healthy. So we'll go back to the, the main desk here that we started with. Cody, you want to be part of the, part of the action here? So that, is, that is the entire studio right there. Thank you so much for giving us that tour, man. That's super inspiring yeah. to see. Living there, live in the studio, and I, I get up, you know, early, and I, I work till about seven, and then I'm pretty drained. And then, then I'll try to pickle my brain so it, it doesn't obsess about work after that. And I'll just do, get up this, the next day and do the same thing over and over, yes. seven days a week. What do you do to pickle your brain? Um, I watch YouTube videos. Usually, they're <laughs> art videos. Crazy, huh? Watercolor videos or um, conspiracy videos about how crooked people are. Uh, um, I love to watch good movies. You know, good according to me, things that are well done. There was a there was a Jackie Chan movie with um, um, 
Pierce Brosman. It was it was called. I don't know. I remember what it was called, but there was some kind of a IRS. No, not IRS, but it was some kind of a, a bomb thing where his daughter was Chan's body bo, uh, daughter was killed, and he had to go out go after the people that that had killed her. Um, some Irish mob types, and it was just so well done. And I just delight in seeing movies well done. I'm trying to teach Jessica about editing right now, and how precise the art form is. And how when something is was so well done, you don't notice it. You only notice it when it's bad. Right? The difference between a person grabbing for a gun, you know, this direction, and then turning in this direction is has to be absolutely precise. And I, I just love it when people are are hundred percent of what they do. That's exciting to me. And the people that are bad at it, well, I learn from them too. I learn what not to do. Right. Steve, thank you so much for the tour. Thanks for the, the conversation. Uh, I believe that um, that that uh, direct market version of uh, Nexus that you showed off is going to be in the October previews. Uh, so so that is something that's uh, going to be orderable for the audience. We did an episode on that that book uh, not too long ago, a couple weeks back. Uh, is there anything else on the horizon that you want to let people know about, including your social media before we get out of here? Yeah, I think I'll uh, I think I'll let the the family expert kind of explain that to you, and that would be my daughter Jessica. So Jessica, why don't you come up here and tell her, tell them all the things that I am unfamiliar with in life, anything to do with computers. <laughs> so come on up here and just give them give them the word. Yeah, and thanks for setting this up for us, Jessica. Oh, you're very welcome. It's no it's no biggie. Um, so we posted a couple of videos on Steve's channel. We have the Kickstarter, of course. Um, which is going to be really exciting. I'm excited for that with the new cover and the, the bigger volume and everything. Um, for the most part, I think as far as social media wise, um, for people who don't know, I've run the, the social media stuff and I've just been kind of giving updates about the Kickstarter. Um, we uploaded a Kickstarter trailer to our YouTube channel which I think looks really cool. Um, so yeah, I'm just, just about the Kickstarter right now. And so when, yeah, yeah, the Gormano Kickstarter, uh, the 9x12. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much everything that we're working on right now. Um, so that's kind of our main focus. So we're talking, right now. yeah, we're talking Instagram, we're talking YouTube, and uh, there's a pretty robust Facebook page, I think. I, I, see, I see videos of Uncle Steve showing up every now and then when I, when I uh, get on... Uh facebook yeah so we have uh instagram facebook twitter we have threads which is part of instagram now um we have youtube that's yeah so yeah i've just been posting about the the kickstarter through there kind of getting everyone hyped up i think we're almost at ten thousand dollars in pledges on the kickstarter um so we're just trying to to get those numbers up and see how far we can go. Sweet. Well, get us that link to that Kickstarter. We'll, we'll put that in the video. And this goes live uh, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday. So hopefully we can help goose those numbers a little bit. Yes, that that would be that would be awesome. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Super cool, Jess. Uh, thank your father. Thanks, Steve. Uh, appreciate you for setting this thing up. And uh, if you're, you're good welcome. to go, I'm good to go. Take care. Thank you.
Ed and Jim, thanks again so much. We'll see you next time, and thanks again. Take thanks, care. Steve. Bye-bye, guys. Fabris, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell so that we can notify you when new videos are available. Tober is still upon us, and these are your drawing prompts. Do not run out of steam. Make sure that whenever you post these images, you got to tag us, you got to at us, you got to let us know that these drawings exist so that we can share, retweet them as much as possible, signal boost your accounts, man, get you some more followers, and uh, we get to enjoy your creative work. We're a daily YouTube channel, and with more than 1,500 videos in our coffers, you might not have seen everything. Go hit the little magnifying glass on the front page of the Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel. And I've noticed you guys have been doing that because we've been getting some comments on some pretty obscure videos. So thank you so much for uh, digging into the, the channel. Search for your favorite titles. Check out those uh, comics. And uh, if we have not yet talked about your favorite comics yet, you must let us know. Put something in the comments so that we can push those comics a little bit higher on our to-read stacks. And whenever you find the favorite cartoonist or favorite comic book, share those videos. It's how we grow this channel. We're not buying advertising elsewhere. We rely on you guys to spread the good word. Yeah, good call, Jimmy. Uh, we have a Patreon that uh, you can su- directly support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. The King Kayfabers on the Patreon are hanging out with us right now. They hang out with us uh, every morning when we uh, record our stuff. Uh, they get a leg up on the kayfabe effect that way through the, this private stream they have access to every video before anybody else and we always record one extra video so that when uh, jimmy and i decide to go on some travels we can still keep the daily content coming so as of this recording right now there might be about 25 videos that gen pop has not seen so you could take advantage of that before we put those videos out live ultimately the videos are brought to you by the books that we make and before you is a small sample of our bibliography but jimmy let the people know what is coming out soon my next book release is street angel princess of poverty this will be out in november from image comics you can pre-order it now at your local comic shop or online and we ask that you do that this is an image book and they need to know how many of these to print so let them know that you want a copy I am also self-publishing zines and comic books lately. You see the BW zine here, 1986, and True Crime Funnies featuring nonfiction stories. These are all available on my website, jimrug.com or patreon.com slash jimrug. And uh, October 26th, I'm going to have a big holiday fall sale where you can stock up on this stuff and some of my other zines and minis that you may have missed. Hulk Grand Design is my contribution to the Grand Design mythos. And basically out of print so if your comic shop has a copy and you don't you may want to pick that up sooner rather than later because marvel comics does not keep this stuff in print if you haven't picked up a hulk grand design yet they are getting more and more scarce so grab those now while you can october 17th the hip-hop family tree omnibus hits bookstores october 18th it hits comic shops scoop this up uh, about 75 percent of the print run has been accounted for So we're playing with slim margins of which books are available right at this moment. Uh, So scoop it up sooner than later. It's the best book I've made. It's the 10-year anniversary of Hip Hop Family Tree. It's the 50th anniversary of Hip Hop as a Culture. And it's gift-giving time. It's time to start planning those Christmas presents. And uh, for the rap music lover in your life, especially if they don't know that this comic exists, this is going to blow their freaking minds. Uh, not the only holiday effort to come out in 2023. In November comes the X-Men Grand Design trade paperback. Uh, this is going to 
collect the trilogy of X-Men Grand Design comics that I put together. So when you're out there getting your orders for Street Angel Princess of Poverty, uh, go tell the shop that you want your Street, uh, your X-Men Grand Design trilogy trade paperback as well. Uh, the There are a couple out-of-print volumes of that. So this will be your way to get them all inside of one handy paperback book. The focus the past couple of years has been Red Room. And there are three trade paperbacks of Red Room that will be out in total. Two are on the stands as we speak. Anti-Social Network and Trigger Warnings. Crypto Killers is coming out in January. And I do have to let you know that I've been uh, working on daily strips for the past uh, for the past year. It's called Switchblade Shorties. And at my Patreon, you're going to be able to check those strips out before before uh, I start to release them on a daily basis beginning January 1st, 2024. Thank you all who are supporting the uh, Patreon at that level and reading these strips well ahead of time. Uh, one of the gratifying things, Jimmy, is that uh, people are developing their favorite characters, which speaks to the ability to get different personality into those characters. To get those characters over. Yes, for sure. So uh, the books are the most important part to keeping the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel solvent and uh, functioning. But there are other ways to directly support Cartoonist Kayfabe. And Jimmy, you could let the people know what those are. Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, hats, mugs, stickers, and more at our spread shop. That link is also under this video in the show notes. There you have it. The many ways to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. We thank you for your patronage. Jimmy, please give the people their final marching orders and we'll be on our way. Read more comics.